Well, it's been a little while since I've been able to be up here, and we appreciate your patience as trying to encourage and work with that group over at Black Creek. I was talking to Ryan Sanford yesterday, he spoke of the VBS at Chances Crossroads yesterday, the fruitful work that was done there, and even some of the young preachers that were working with the adults, and perhaps we're going to be able to find a connection there between them and uh, the group at Black Creek, so maybe we will see something come of that. I'm definitely going to try to get them connected with the elders there. And uh, Last week was a very encouraging week for our Christian brethren at Black Creek. Two of the young people were baptized, and some of their family members who were not Christians who had come to the, to the worship service, and it was just good to see them so encouraged. And it just for me, it's just been such a blessing, and that makes me mindful of all of our brothers and sisters in all these different places that are showing their faithfulness at, at work during the week and then coming together, whatever their circumstances may be, because they love the Lord and they want to worship God and they want to serve Him. So with that being said, if you'll come with me to 1 Samuel chapter 26. The last times we were together, we were looking at chapters 24, 25, and we were noticing the temptations that David is having to suffer in the wilderness. And one of the main points that we've drawn from that was that David, like Jesus, was given by God a path of suffering. It was necessary. And neither of them tried to avoid that path of suffering. And as we come into 26 today, once again, David in the wilderness, there's temptation. And it would seem that through the suffering that he has faced, he has certainly matured. And as we look in the situation here, David enduring this trial, which of course is Saul, and all these men that are coming after him with the intent to kill him. Now Saul learned and was proven to him in chapter 24 that David is not going to raise his hand against Saul. David will not kill the Lord's anointed. He could have in that cave. But instead, remember, with his men tempting him to kill Saul, he cut off the robe and he even regretted that because of what it symbolizes, him seizing the kingdom. But David knew the error of his ways. It is not right for him to seize the kingdom. That is for God to handle. And David, through these experiences, through these trials, he is maturing and he is coming to trust God and obey God. In this particular instance, in chapter 26, once again, his own people, he's out in the wilderness of Ziph, and the Israelites betray David to Saul, and they tell him where David is, and Saul brings 3,000 men. If you can think back, David has his I believe it's 300 or 400 men that had come to him who were in distress, that were indebted. They came to him out in that cave uh, in Adullah, and that's who he's with, right? He's of the distressed and indebted of the world, and Saul brings his 3,000. And they're camped about. David knows where they are camped, and he asked two of his men, who would go with me into the camp where Saul and Abner and the rest of Israel is? And of the two, we see Abiashai is willing to go. And now if you study Abiashai, you'll see that he'll go on to become a great commander. You think, what great courage it is to follow David into this situation. I mean, you would think, just looking at it from a complete fleshly viewpoint, you're walking into what would be impending doom. But Abiashai is willing to do that with David. And so they go. They see the camp. They're up above and they walk down into the camp. Now, a little bit later in verse 12, we realize they're able to do this because, quote, a deep sleep from the Lord had fallen upon them. But as they're down among the men, Saul is sleeping. He has his spear in the ground and his jug of water, 
and that about him would be Joab and the others that are circled about supposed to be protecting him. And you would think it's Saul in this type of situation that he would be safe. And so one thing that strikes me is that in the Lord's involved, you see the protection of David walking into what would be like impending doom and Saul seemingly safe from man's perspective, and yet God is allowing them to sleep so that David and Abishai is protected and Saul is not, right? Well, the same temptation is presented to David. Abishai is like, let me take my spear and it'll only take one thrust and he'll be dead. But David does not even entertain the temptation, right? The past sufferings and trials has taught David and he is mature. He rejects the temptation immediately. If you come with me, this is verses 9 and, and 10 and 11. We're looking at these things. We notice David's faith. He is not going to take a hand against the Lord's anointed. He knows that in time, whatever it may be, that God will handle it, whether Saul die in battle or old age, whatever it may be, God will handle what Saul and his disobedience and his continual rejection of God's plan. He will take care of that. And that is not for David to take care of. So he rejects the temptation. But he's going to make a point. And like I said, as we saw that they made the deep sleep, they were able to take the spear, they take the jug of water, and they leave and they get far enough away so they have some degree of safety. They're up on a hill and then they call out, and so that the people arise. Saul wakes, Joab awakes, and he says, as Abner asks, you know, who's calling for the king? Saul recognizes, even asks if it's David, and David says that it is him. And then it seems that David's kind of given uh, Joab a little bit of a hard time. You know, aren't you a man? Aren't you a great commander? Well, then why didn't you guard your master, you know, the king? Why haven't you protected the king? And that's a great question, and it's a serious point. Someone just walked into your camp and could have killed your king, could have killed your master. You did not protect them. You did not watch over them. And of course, he points them to the spear and the water jug to confirm that he could have killed Saul because they see that it's missing and that David and Abiashai have those things. Saul, like we said, asks if it's David, and David says that it is. And then we see Saul's supposed repentance. But this is not the first time that Saul has offered repentance, but then gone on to take action to show that it wasn't true repentance. Now, David makes a very important point in verse 23. He says, the, re the Lord rewards every man his righteousness and his faithfulness. The Lord gave Saul into the hand of David, but David will, would not take that temptation. He rejected it. He's willing to continue walking whatever path that God would put before him. Whatever trials, whatever suffering, and whatever temptations will come because he knows it's not for him to raise his hand against the Lord. And what helps him do that is that he understands that the Lord will reward every man for his righteousness and his faithfulness. David understands what's ahead. And because of that, he can endure what's right in front of him in the moment. He would not have learned that if it weren't for all the trials and the suffering that he has faced up to this point. So as we consider chapter 26, we of course come back to the picture that this paints in regard to the ultimate Lord's anointed in Jesus. And we see in this particular temptation, David seems to be extremely mature or has been perfected through this suffering. 
Well, that's exactly what we see out of Jesus. You come into Matthew chapter 4 and you consider the way that he handled the temptations from Satan, going to the scriptures and immediately rejecting the temptations. We see of his being perfected and matured through the things that he had had to suffer, the trials and the temptations that he had previously had to go through. David being matured by that process, Jesus being matured through that process. The Hebrew writer establishes some pretty important or pretty key points about Jesus. The first of those comes from Hebrews chapter 4. Let's put our eyes on these passages. These are very important passages in understanding not just Jesus, but what he did and what he suffered so that he could become what God wanted him to become for all of us, that plan of salvation. In chapter 4, beginning at verse 14, the Hebrew writer writes, Since then we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God. Let us hold fast our confession, for we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who is in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. And now the Hebrew writer, even back in chapter 2, if you'll come with me to verse 9, even speaks of the suffering of Jesus. This is a passage that I don't care how many times you read it over the years, it just strikes you so strongly to think that God would take his son and work things in a manner so that he could become our savior in this way. I mean, no man would ever create a plan that would reflect it or bring about glory in this way. Only our God who has that type of understanding of us and the way things would have to be so that we could truly make a choice to love him and render ourselves to him in service. But it reads in Hebrews chapter 2, beginning at verse 9. But we see him for a little while was made lower than the angels, namely Jesus, crowned with glory and honor because of the suffering of death, so that the grace of God, he might taste death for everyone. For it was fitting that he, for whom and by whom all things exist, in bringing many sons to glory, should make the founder of their salvation perfect through suffering. Jesus became flesh. He experienced temptations. He endured suffering even to death so that he could completely understand us and lead us. Think about David out in the wilderness going to the cave. Who was it that came to him? It was the ones that felt that they were indebted, the ones that were distressed, the ones who had problems. Those were the ones that came to David, and those are the ones that David followed or led, right? The leader is one that lives among those and understands them and is able to rule over them. Now, if you think about that in contrast to, we'll say, our political leaders today that just feel so distant from the common people that they don't understand them. It's a totally different life. And then when you look at the way that they lead over them, you see their foolishness. That's not so. It's not so with David, and it certainly was not so with Jesus. This is God's plan even for us. That's what we have to see in this. We, like David, like Jesus, have to come to understand that there is a path of suffering before us if we're going to be mature disciples and walk in the manner in which we be toward our calling. We're going to have to endure these trials and temptations. But why? And that's where we'll come as we think about the message today. Why is it important that we walk these trials? 
Why is it important that we endure these sufferings and, and face these temptations? Well, it grows. It's a test that grows our faith. And it's the only way. We have to have these different things in our life so that we have the ability to make choices. And if we are able to endure and we're able to keep our mind on what's before us. Remember, David learned that when they are tested, that there are rewards for those who are righteous and those who are faithful. But we can obtain those rewards of our own accord. But yet that's what we want to do. And essentially that's what sin is. It's a short court cut towards some type of pleasure, some type of more immediate reward. Now the wisdom that we see is that it's extremely temporary and that if we follow into that path or that vicious cycle, it leads into destruction. So hopefully in that we recognize the foolishness, even those of us who have come into the faith and are trying to walk faithfully, at times we stumble. But hopefully we see that foolishness. But one of our other responsibilities is that we would show the people among us in the world the foolishness of that vicious cycle and that we see the trials and the sufferings which by nature we would not rejoice over. But we see that it's necessary. It's necessary that it's a testing of our faith so that our faith can grow and that we can become servants and that we will receive the reward that the Lord gives, which is, of course, far greater than any temporary reward or pleasure that we could so easily take today or tomorrow in this life. The Lord will reward those who are righteous and faithful. Now there's a, a song, I, I don't know that I've heard us sing it, uh, but maybe it's been some time, but it's, it's called In His Time. And one of the verses in the song struck me in regard to this. It says, in his time, he makes all things beautiful in his time. And I feel like that's the other part of the message as I read through this part of the temptation that David's facing and how he's handled these things. We have to be willing to be patient and trust in the timing of God. David had opportunities to where he could have seized the kingdom. Jesus had opportunities where he could have seized the kingdom. But both of them came to understand that that path of suffering was necessary. And it wasn't for them to seize the kingdom in their time. They needed to wait on God. And whatever the situation was, that it would be God that would vindicate them. I even think about, you know, David's situation with Nabal. You know, what a fool. But ultimately, David understood, may God judge between me and you. God will judge. It's only for me to do what is right, no matter the circumstances. And we certainly see David as he's been matured and even maybe perfected through this suffering, that in chapter 26, when that temptation is presented to him again, he immediately rejects it, which shows me his maturation. So another point comes. We have these trials and these temptations in our life. We should not let those go to waste. I know why we're going through them. They're extremely difficult. But if we are mature, if we are wise, then we realize what they're going to do for us and how they're going to help us grow. And so we try to go through them the right way and we try to learn from them. And then later, we're able to look back at these trials and it will help us walk faithfully. But maybe more importantly, it will help us help those around us. It reminds me of the passage where it talks about God being the God of all comfort and that he would comfort us. But why? So that we can comfort others. Our own maturity, 
our abilities. Ultimately, it's to serve. Jesus said that he would be, you know, the greatest of all would be last of all, servant of all. And if our Savior embodies this, then certainly his disciples should. But the only way for us to do that is to walk the path that we see David walking, to walk the path that we see our Lord walking, which is a path of trials, a path of suffering, and that we're going to have to learn to endure. So in his time, he will make all things beautiful, but it's going to be in his time. When we try to force the issue, we're going to sin, and we're going to cause problems, and there's going to be consequences. And sometimes those sins that we would commit they reverberate from generation to generation. I mean, one example that comes to my mind is just thinking about the husband-wife relationship. Sometimes when we're not pleased with the way the other spouse is acting and we want them to do something or, or be some way or something, we might try to force the issue through anger or, or manipulation or some other form of control instead of being patient and trying to see what God is teaching us in this difficulty. And right, and even sometimes we go to extreme measures, manipulate through an affair or, or even divorce. And that's just the spousal relationship. If we were to look at this in all areas of our life, we would see, if we would examine ourselves, where we try to force the issue and we bring about sin. And sin has consequences. And for those of us outside of Christ, sin brings about death. If we don't deal with the sin, then we will lead ourselves to destruction. We have to be willing to put on spiritual eyes and see as God sees. We have to see the path that David walked, the path that Jesus walked, and then try to walk the same path, have the maturity and wisdom to see that this trial that I'm going through, yes, it's painful, it's difficult, but it will pass, and I need to walk it the right way. I need to see what I can learn from this and go through it in a way so as to mature, knowing that in the future it's going to help me in this life but then more importantly, perhaps, for myself and those around me, I know that there is a reward that's waiting for the righteous and the faithful. And that reward cannot be compared to any temporary pleasure or reward that I could obtain by some shortcut or some forcing of an issue down in this life. So when I consider the temptations of David, these are the paramount lessons that strike me. And as we continue in the story, we see that David is almost beyond these difficulties. And God is, in a physical way, about to judge between him and Saul. And because David was faithful, because he waited for God's timing, he will be elevated and he will become king. We too, in God's time, will be elevated and he'll give us a crown of righteousness. But we're going to have to endure the sufferings of this life, the trials and temptations. So let us do so with maturity and wisdom and learn from those things for our own maturation, but maybe more importantly, to help those around us. So if there's anybody among us that wants this reward that God can give and only God can give to the righteous and the faithful, you understand that you are in your trespasses. You have not dealt with this problem of sin, and you know that the only solution is Jesus. It's the only thing you can do. You can't find some self-help book or anything like that or some support group, but dealing with your sin, the only one that can heal you and you forgive you of your sins is Jesus. Then I'll quote the Apostle Peter. 
Repent and be baptized, every one of you, for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. Save yourself from this crooked generation. If you can receive those words, then please come as we stand and sing.